The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Hi, everyone. I'm Elaine Clark, and this is the Mindful Matters Podcast. Today I'm in conversation with someone I've been following on social media after coming across his book several months ago. And I love the way he shares bite-sized mental health videos online in such a raw and relatable way. And I was especially moved by one of his videos called The Real Face of Mental Health, which if you have a chance, I encourage you to check out. I am talking about my guest today, Dylan Sessler, a mental health coach, professional speaker and podcast host of The Dylan Experience. He's an entrepreneur, combat veteran, and author of the book, Defy the Darkness, a story of suicide, mental health, and overcoming your hardest battles. In January of 2020, Dylan began speaking on TikTok about mental health and trauma, and by 2022, he accumulated more than half a million followers, supporting his daily content centered around having realistic conversations about mental health, abuse, trauma, self-harm, and suicide. He has a relentless pursuit to help society rethink human connection and mental health, and his book, Defy the Darkness, is a raw account of how he processed his way through his trauma, and he offers guidance on how others can do the same. We're doing a deep dive into his book and some of his experiences today. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope this episode resonates with you, and I hope you take something out of it. Dylan Sessler, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I want to start off with your journey, like I always do. And I want to go back to a very vulnerable time in your life when you were just six years old. Tell us what happened and tell us what that was like for you. Well, you know, that's that's one of the easily one of the hardest points in my life. It's one of the hardest situations I've ever had to deal with. And at six years old, I found myself coming down the stairs to a family who was all in the kitchen. Um, my my mom and my sister were looking at my dad and my, my dad kind of looked over at us and, and told us he's leaving. He's going to, he's going to work and then he's got a bunch of meetings late at night. Um, and he said he probably wouldn't be home until tomorrow. But what what really caught me in that moment was it didn't feel like what he was saying was true. You know, I, I had this this over overwhelming emotional response to what he was saying at a, as a six year old, uh, you know, and, and just felt all of the all of the feelings that said he is not telling you the truth. And and so I, I kind of I expressed myself. I, I, I said, don't leave. I, you know, I, I, I yelled and screamed and cried and I did all the six year old things that children will children will do at that point um but it was all kind of futile and and it it ended up being this cliche moment where i watched him walk out the screen door you know on a on a warm august morning um take that left and that was the last time i saw my dad um later that day he had ended up committing suicide uh about you know 20 minutes or so from our house in a, a secluded park um and his body was found um, either later that day or the next day. Um, 
and that's you know that was the situation i found myself in was this moment where i felt like i was responsible for this you know even though logically that didn't make sense but i was six years old and i didn't understand what logic was so i found myself kind of overwhelmingly placing this guilt and this regret and this shame of his decision on myself at, at such a young age. Um, and because of that shame, I, I really found myself just being very silent about it, not expressing myself because I didn't know how to actually, you know, expose that to people and, and to feel that shame. I didn't know if I would be judged or if I would be, you know, punished or, you know, so many different things at that age are so remarkably complicated. And that's, you know, that's the situation I found myself in at just six years old. Hmm. It's really interesting. The, that inner knowing at even such a young age, that, that intuitive feeling that something is off and something is, is not right. Um, I, I'm really interested to know at, at what point in your life did you start to peel back some of these really tender layers? Did it happen right away? Or, or you know, what were the first steps to uncovering this really painful experience? You know, the the peeling back is is such an interesting concept because i think i think we like to think it's a very easy peeling you know process like you peel an onion or something like that but mm -hmm. i think what i found and and certainly with what i do now and you know talking about my book and talking about you know my my content on tiktok and every everything that i do even my podcast i find myself realizing the lessons that I've learned throughout my life have really come very early. You know, I, I, I recognize more and more that little bits and pieces were the seeds that eventually kind of sprouted into, oh, I need to pay attention to this. I need to realize this. And so, you know, I, I, I often have looked at, you know, 25 when I, when I almost committed suicide myself as the moment I started peeling back the layers, but I, I, I find myself being more and more wrong every time I, I kind of look back at my, at my journey and understanding mm -hmm. of it, it was so many times where the answers were right there. The answers were right in front of me, but I was unwilling to, you know, start the peeling process if, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, there's so many places. I think Afghanistan in 2012 was was a huge, uh, a huge perspective shift for me because of what I saw. Um, the army itself, you know, I joined the army in 2008, and so when I'm 18, when I'm 20, 22, 25, all of those moments were kind of the beginning of the the ending of my my self deprecation, my self destruction. Mm -hmm. um, even though it ultimately led to a point where you could look at it and say you were you were profoundly close to self-destruction it was it was really many years before that where i started to realize that what i was thinking and what i was feeling was necessarily wrong um but i think where it becomes complicated is that you just don't know how to be wrong sometimes and it's it's a very interesting thought to to start digging into i think yeah yeah, I I want to spend some time actually talking about this this self destruction, this self sabotage, and the the inner demons and our shadow, which 
you know, one of the most important things I've ever done for myself in my mental health journey was discovering my shadow and becoming aware of those inner demons inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I think the shadow is one of the most important parts of our development as human beings, and especially in being able to find meaning and fulfillment in our life. And what I find so interesting about the shadow is that the less embodied it is, the more it becomes like a an unconscious snag that thwarts our most well-meaning intentions. So it can show up, you know, when we least want it to, and it can sabotage yeah. certain situations or opportunities. And so I think confronting our shadow is a real test of our courage and our willingness to ultimately evolve to a higher place. You know, that, that part about confronting it is where uh, I think a lot of people struggle. And I love what Carl Jung says. He says, you know, he says something like, if we can bear to see our shadow, then a small part of the problem has already been solved. Right. What is what is your experience of confronting your shadow and then doing the shadow work in your journey? Well, I, I love that you brought up Carl Jung in this conversation, because that's that's exactly what I was thinking that whole time you're talking about the shadow. You know, in this, you know, Carl Jung really talks about this idea that there's really a piece of yourself that you will never know. Mm. And yeah. I, I find that remarkably interesting and I, I find it very true in, in my own case of there's, you know, we, we as humans like to look at things like art and a logical person would say it has no meaning, it has no value, it has no purpose, but we're not logical. Humans aren't logical. And so there's, there's always a side of us, I think, you know, in, in many points in our lives where we, we act from a place that we don't know. And that's what I think art really becomes. And so when you learn to connect with that truth that cannot be known, a lot of really interesting things happen. And I think that is the truth that we're always seeking, you know, and I think it's one of the most noble journeys that someone can kind of embark upon is stepping into this, this path of knowing the unknowable in a, in a, in a sense. And I think that's where maybe Carl Jung was trying to get to. Um, but you, you really become an expert on who you really are and you begin to respect that all of these things that you've been through, you had no choice. You had no understanding of how to make choices because there were so many things that define who you are, so many places, so many people um, that in, in a sense, the person that you used to be was more unknown than you are now. And that, that will always be true is as you grow every day, you're becoming, you're, you're knowing yourself more mm -hmm. and that, but that process will never end. You know, it, it becomes, it comes to a point where someday you die, never knowing who you truly are. Mm. Yeah. You know, overcoming these inner demons, I think, is way more important than talent. Um, you know, I consider myself to be an extremely hard worker, and I feel so blessed that I've had so many incredible experiences and opportunity along my path. But one thing I've noticed is that no matter where I am in my journey and no matter what step towards, you know, this perceived hierarchy of successes, um, those inner demons, they don't go away and they, they really just kind of change tone and tenor. And so yeah. I've learned that it's really about learning how to not let those inner demons be in the driving seat. 
um, that I think that for me is like a big realization. I, I'm curious if you can relate to that. Absolutely. I think the, I think, you know, you talk about voice in here and I think, I think it's really interesting to, to discuss, you know, some people think in voices, some people think in colors or, you know, uh, images and, you know, we all think in different ways. Um, some people talk to themselves, some people don't, but I think regardless of whether you talk to yourself or not, mm -hmm. you send messages to yourself and that's the more important understanding. And so when you talk about demons and when you talk about like having a conversation or, you know, messaging with yourself, however you want to explain it, the ability to understand that every voice, every image, every thought that you create is of your own doing mm -hmm. is a really, I think, important understanding here. And that, you know, it may be your abusive father that that showed you that you're you're, you were worthless as a child. And so you've, what you've really done is you've crafted this voice of him to maintain, but it's your voice now, mm. right? And you've, you've extended and elongated this relationship that you've had with this person of the past. And without, without ever really, you know, contemplating it, you've, you've just allowed that relationship to exist within yourself that you are worthless and you, you are devalued and you, you now do it to yourself. And I think that's one of the hardest things is that we craft ourselves, our personality around the environments that, that teaches us how to be us. Right. Yeah. I think silence really comes from the environments that teaches us, you know, teaches people that speaking isn't beneficial. Right. And so people stop talking, people stop being, you know, disagreeable. They become more agreeable because you, you become disagreeable, you cause problems. And if those problems are traumatizing, you really don't want to cause problems at a, at a young age. And so you really start to develop voices or messaging within your head that teaches you how to survive in your environment. And when you step into this journey of addressing your demons, I mean, it's really about understanding that any voice that count, you know, counteracts and contradicts the ones that are, you know, self-deprecating or destructive, that's all you need. Right. And so a lot of times, like when, when people look at me and ask me, you know, what should I do here? And if they've known me for a while, I just say, what would I say to you? And, and they go with that, you know, and that becomes their own voice. And even if it's my voice in their head, it's their voice. So it doesn't really matter. You can, you can recreate and redevelop your own messaging just by simply implicating someone else's voice because it's still yours regardless. Yeah. What do you think are some tactile things we can do to confront and understand our shadow? Uh, th there's nothing comfortable about this question. You right. know, like <laughs> there's the, you know, when you talk about like the idea of of confronting something that is profoundly disturbing, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I think just becoming more in touch with the reality that humanity is a is dark, right? Like we we are a dark species where we have a willingness to kill, we have a willingness to hurt, we have a willingness to to cause pain, even if it's to ourselves, um, and to recognize that though you have that ability. That does not have to be what you do 
or what you become or how you act, you know, and, and I think the highest form of, you know, humanity is really coming to balancing the idea of us being both light and dark, both good and evil. That's why we have, you know, that's why we have all of these stories of good versus evil, because relatively they're narratives of how humanity is. We, we are evil and we are good. Um, and to balance that out, to, to, you know, function and, you know, functionally put something tactile in front of you that says, Hey, pay attention to this. It's about really understanding what can really happen as humans. Like we can do terrible things, Mm -hmm. but we can also choose to do really good things. And it's a really about, it's very much about choice. It's very about, it's very much about understanding that you can make one of many choices but it's how you approach that choice. You know, do you bring people into your choices? Or are you the only one making choices? That's that's a really there's that's a really simple thing to make is talk to someone that actually has made that choice mm-hmm. or learn from someone that has made that choice. You know, and, and a tactile thing to do is talk to people. They they have a lot to say to you and a lot to help you understand. You know, it's very it's quite simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. You know, we can't have the tree without its shadow. And we, you know, most movies, they have a, a villain in the movie. It's not a movie without the villain, right? So yeah. it, it's like, you know, we need both. Um, there's both sides of the coin. There's two sides of this, like two ends of the spectrum, I want to say. Um, so Dylan, I, I want to talk about your your book. You've now written a book about your experiences as a survivor of parental suicide your experience of PTSD, suicidal ideation, and grief, which are topics that a lot of people have always been afraid to talk about. And this book dives you know, headfirst into the taboo nature of mental health. Talk to us about your book, Defy the Darkness, which I love because it gives, you know, it gives readers both hope and a plan of action. What do you want readers to take away from this book? Well, I'll start with why. I wrote the book. You know, I, I, I wrote the book very simply because it, as I grew up, you know, obviously going through what I went through at six, nobody talked about suicide, right? Nobody talked about grief. Nobody talked about loss. Nobody talked about mental health. Now we do, but we don't talk about it on a, on a fundamental, simple level. We talk about it as, you know, as a, as a passing kind of burden at, at times, like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm depressed, or you know, oh, I'm I'm taking a mental health day. But we don't we don't have these conversations of asking the simple questions of how are you and actually wanting a response. You know, we and so I I, I wrote Defy the Darkness to kind of be a a purpose driven narrative of how to approach the conversation, how to approach the the difficulty that you are you know, whatever you're dealing with, it doesn't have to be suicide, doesn't have to be suicide ideation, or, you know, trauma or anything like that can just be very simply how to define a a decision making process and a life that can be both valuable, purposeful, um, you know, perspective driven, um, and and something that you can, you can live with, right, you know, because I think, I, I can't remember who said it, but Someone asked asked him, you know, what is the meaning of life? And I I loved his answer of being uh, to enjoy the passage of time. 
you know, and I, I, I think that's a, a, a really interesting dilemma that we, we always ask, like, what is the meaning of life? And, and we don't realize that the meaning to me is in the question, it's life, right? Like, it's that simple, but yet that's so remarkably complex. And I just wanted to use this book as an example of, here's this narrative of what I went through. And here's the process of how I dealt with it. Here's the process of the step-by-step this, this was a painful moment, but this is what came from it. You know, when I, I now look at the, what happened at six years old as possibly one of the most important things that ever happened to me, but on a, as a good thing, mm-hmm. right? My, my father's choice, as crazy as it might sound, that being a good thing doesn't make sense to someone that's grieving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it only makes sense when you step outside of the perspective and you allow that to grow mm-hmm. and you start to realize that everything I learned from losing my dad has put me in front of you today, having this conversation. And for whoever's listening to this, you know, you get to hear something that only came because of what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a rare thing to hear. It's a rare thing to have a conversation, you know, and, and I think the depth of any conversation is, is very much determined by the, the perception of safety. That, that it garnishes, you know? And so when you, what I really tried to do with the book was develop a safe understanding of how to have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, that was my goal. I love that, that point there about enjoying the passage of time. And, and there was just a part of me that was thinking, you know, it, to add to that, to enjoy the passage of time and to love along the way, to love ourselves and to love other people, I think is really the the breakthrough um, that yeah. we we struggle with. Yeah, yeah. So I have two parts to my next question. I, I'm so curious. Did you did you always know that you wanted to write a book? And the second part of my question is that um, the fact that you wrote 90 percent of this book in the first months of the COVID-19 pandemic shutdown. Was this a book that was percolating in you for many years or did you just suddenly get the inspiration and, and the time to, to create it during the pandemic? Oh, that's a good, both, both are good questions. Like the first one, it's hard to answer because I felt like at maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, I had been through so much at the time that I was like, I just loved writing you know, writing was my, was my passion. It was my outlet. I wrote a lot of poetry. I just like, you know, expressed myself through writing, but I never shared it with anybody. So I think I toyed with the idea of writing back then, but then I never touched it until probably right after I, I almost committed suicide in 2015. Um, in, in 2016, I started actually writing my first three chapters, but I stopped. Like I wrote those three chapters and I felt like they were the worst thing ever, you know, that I could ever write. And so I, I just put it down. Um, you know, I, I did a couple things and then I deployed in 2019. And right before I deployed in 2019 to Afghanistan, I was really feeling like I could write this again. But then I get to Afghanistan and it's war, right? And so the, the feeling wasn't there, the emotion that I think was necessary for this spe- specific book just wasn't there. You know, the environment really matters, I think, when you're writing. And so 
I put it down. I didn't touch it. I came back and then COVID happened. A couple other things happened. It just kind of put me in a situation where I had a lot to say and I had a lot of time. And so I, I just started writing and things just kept coming out that I think were were just necessary, you know, not not just necessary for me, but necessary for the world to to hear and understand and try to contemplate. And so that's that's kind of where where it came from, and what happened. Um, but I was I've been I've been sitting on it for for quite some time, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of came out all at once. Mm-hmm. Did it come out pretty easily in in those few months during the pandemic? Honestly, yeah, it 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 came out remarkably easy. I think the hard part was editing. Editing is always the hardest part right. for, for writing a book. But when it came out, it came out in in force. I think I wrote, I think chapter nine, I actually rewrote chapter nine, but the chapter nine that's in there right now came out in like three hours. Oh, I, wow. I, wrote, I wrote, I just, uh, a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine passed from brain cancer the day before um, and he hadn't told anybody and and that chapter was very much like my my epitaph to him um, mm-hmm. and it was a it was an emotional chapter and it was an important chapter and I, I got it out as soon as I felt it mm-hmm. we have you know we have a lot of educators in our community practitioners therapists um, people who aspire to write a book and you know for yourself as someone who's written a book um, would you say that you came up against a lot of resistance and those inner demons? Like, did you find that those inner demons were on high volume? Like, oh, what if no one reads this book? Or, um, you know, does what if this doesn't resonate with people? Or, uh, you know, the shame spiral of like, oh, this is too much. Or, you know, you know, the, all those different thoughts that come out. Um, what were some of those those thoughts that came out for you? I. You know, it's it's funny because as you were saying that, it had nothing to do with other people. Hmm. It had everything to do with me. You know, and, and so the the shame cycle for me has kind of always been, you know, what if it's not good enough for you? You know, yeah. that like that that perfectionism. Um, you know, and, and that's almost a hybrid of it's a it's a recognition, a self-recognition of, you know it's someone else's kind of idea of you, but it's replicated and, and kind of watered down to a point where it's you, like you have to be good enough for you. And I took that, I think to an extreme in the beginning, but at the, by the end of the book, by the, by the time I actually finished the book, I, I did the work, you know, I think, I think that's necessary. I think there's, I think there's perfectionism. And then I think there's this understanding that no matter how much you try to edit something or, you know, rebuild something or do something, you're always going to have mistakes in there. You're always going to have issues. You're always going to, you know, in 10 years, my book might be obsolete, right? Like the, we, we may have this completely different way of dealing with mental health, but right now in the moment when I, when I published the book, I felt it was the, the best thing I could do. And I gave myself a lot of, a lot of leeway in there because I knew I knew I could have went back and probably, you know, rewrote a chapter or two if I wanted to, or add in all the knowledge that I was gaining. Cause I was at this time when I published the book, I had gained, you know, over, about 400,000 followers in the, in the time I started writing the book, you mm-hmm. know, on TikTok. And so that in itself, 
I was learning so much from people that by the time I finished the book, I feel like I could have went back and completely rewritten it based on what I had learned. But I, I also realized some people didn't have time for that. Right. You know, and so the sooner I get this book out, the sooner I help people and the sooner I can start my next book that will help more people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this book is incredible. It's timely. Um, I, I'm so excited for readers to get their hands on this. Where can our listeners find your book? I think the best place is Audible because I, I wrote, I read it. Um, and then I added a bunch of like off script moments that, you know, because I did the Audible after Amazon, mm -hmm. right after, after I published it to Amazon, um, I added just a bunch of things that I wanted to, like if I were to go back and rewrite the book, those are the things I would have added to the book. So the Audible version is probably a more um, complete version of the book, but you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on major book dealers like target.com and barnesandnoble.com, mm -hmm. but yeah, everywhere. Amazing. Dylan, I'm so happy we were able to make this work today. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Of, of course, I appreciate it. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. I will stand here and shout it.